Pastor Jay um, is out of town this week with, with uh, it's his son's birthday, and they have a thing. They love to go camping together and spend some father-son time, and I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. We also have a group in, in or on the way to Nepal this morning. To Nepal. That's the opposite. If we dug a hole, it would end up in Nepal. That's amazing to me. We need to pray for God to uh, use them as they are there in a very, very dark uh, uh, land, a religious, a lot of superstition and uh, demons, actually. So we need to pray for their, not only their safety, their anointing. Amen. Today we're going to begin a, a very short two-part series as we anticipate Thanksgiving just around the corner in the holiday season that we're right on the edge of. We're going to call this two-part series Rethink Humility. Rethink Humility. The idea of Christian humility is really, in my opinion, largely misunderstood it's obviously the opposite of pride. I get that. I know that's true. But some go beyond that seeing humility as this uh, self-denying, depreciating, low view of oneself, this humble position of the slave to the master, of property to the property owner. It's the idea that a Christian is supposed to be soft-spoken and Wilting, violent, passive martyr. It's like, don't express yourself. Don't be passionate about anything. Just be a humble Christian and shut up. That's what the world would like to happen. Now, I want to tell you something. Biblical humility does nothing to lower the value of anyone. But it raises the estimation of God to greater heights. Humility helps us see ourselves properly and God properly. It becomes an open door once we're humble for God to do the things in us that he really would like to do. It reveals the character of God. Yes, humility reveals God's character. It's actually a big deal in the Bible. Jesus talked about it a lot. Well, it's certainly worth rethinking. And I hope these next two messages, today and next week, that you ch changes the way you perceive the idea of humility. And I hope it changes the way we live. Um, how many have heard of Vince Lombardi? Vince Lombardi is probably the most famous NFL coach in history, Green Bay Packers coach from years past. He apparently had a large ego. Duh. He apparently had a, he's pretty arrogant and had a large ego, good coach. One day he came home after a great win. His wife was already in the bed. She was already asleep. He got in the bed. His feet touched her feet. And she woke up and said, God, your feet are cold. And he said, honey, when I'm at home, just call me Vince. <laughs> yeah, that's funny, but. We're usually turned off by somebody who thinks more highly of themselves than they should. You know, when you, we hear somebody bragging about themselves, or an athlete showboating on television, or a, uh, 
an arrogant know-it-all spouting off about their wealth or their knowledge, it sort of makes us sick. <laughs> it sort of makes us uncomfortable. Because deep down we know that pridefulness is not a very attractive character trait. Amen? Pride, though, is not so much bragging as it is the illusion that I am the center and I can manage everything on my own without any help. That's really what pride is. Bragging may be a symptom of pride, but pride is deeper than that. There are a lot of people who would never, ever brag on themselves in public but they can demonstrate an amazing amount of pride. Have you ever heard someone say, I don't take charity? Yeah, that's pride too. Humility is the opposite of that attitude. It's not a self-deprecating kind of thing. It's just living the truth about ourselves. Do you hear that? It's living the truth. The truth is, I am not God. <laughs> I am not the center of everything. I have needs, I have things I can't control, I am dependent on God. That's humility. So let's do this right now. I want you to own a little audience participation here. If you know the person's name next to you, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your friend, I want you to just turn to someone and say, your name is Mark Fry and you are not God. Just say their name, okay? Go and do it right now. Go, go look and say, you are, and you are not God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See? You needed to hear that today. Someone once said, the biggest difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. <laughs> See, this first showed up in the Bible in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> When spiritual forces of evil inside that snake said to, said to Eve, when you eat this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. That was the first temptation. You'll be the master of your own universe. You don't have to submit to somebody else. You can make up your own rules. That'll make you God. This you'll be like God temptation has been around for a long time. And it's really the heart of every sin and all spiritual confusion in our life. That's why I said humility is a big deal in the Bible. So I'm going to give you two points today. Here's the first one, two big ones. Here's the first one. It's very simple. Number one, pride destroys. You see, pretending to be God is the core of pride. Pride can destroy your life, your relationship with God, and everybody around you. So we're going to look at a story today about a man who learned this painful lesson, the lesson that he's not God. There was a guy named, we call him Pharaoh. He was the king of Egypt about 3,500 years ago. Egypt was a world power. He was an absolute dictator of an empire that was unchallenged anywhere in the world. He had strength and wealth and fame and was, he just had everything. He was the most secure person on the face of the earth. <laughs> sort of. He thought he was God. In fact, they called him a God. That's how people thought of him. But he's a God that has a problem. 
You see, his problem was his empire had enslaved a whole race of people for 400 years, the Hebrews. They had been enslaved and they were used to build massive building projects and, and for hundreds of years they'd been doing that. And they'd come in pretty handy to him to build his monuments to himself. But the problem was they were reproducing so fast that the Hebrew people were growing in population. He thought, what if my country goes to war? What if I get invaded? Why, why these Hebrews might join the enemy and, and rise up against us. And so he got a little paranoid. Now this is the first time we see Pharaoh. He orders all the little Jewish boy babies, he orders the midwives to kill them when they're born. He'll just take care of any kind of uprising by killing the boy babies when they're born. But the problem was this. The midwives didn't agree. Look at what it says in Exodus 1.21. But the Hebrew midwives refused to obey the king because they feared God. <laughs> they, he thought he was God, but they knew he wasn't God. See, Pharaoh, 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 excuse me, Pharaoh thought he had the power of life and death. He was under the I am God delusion. But the Hebrews were not under that same delusion. This horrible rule, kill all the babies, reveals something about Pharaoh that I see today in a lot of us regular folk. Sometimes being out of control makes us about this far from doing something crazy. Pharaoh was out of control. He decided he had to go to any lengths he could to prop up his nation. He had to prop up the idea that he was in control. He, no one can resist my will. The world revolves around me. I'm God. The story is told that President Lyndon Johnson, he's president in the 1960s, uh, Lyndon Johnson had a press secretary named Bill Moyer. You've probably heard his name before on television. Bill Moyer, he's a young man at the time, was an ordained minister, and he was in a cabinet meeting, and President Johnson invited Bill Moyer to pray over the cabinet uh, session. And Bill Moyer was at the other side of the table, and Bill Moyer bowed his head and began to pray, but he was sort of praying uh, sort of with a low voice. And in the middle of his prayer, Lyndon Johnson interrupted and said, Speak up, Moyer, I can't hear you. And Bill Moyer said, I wasn't talking to you, sir. <laughs> this Pharaoh uh, idea that the world revolves around me was exactly what that was about. <laughs> Let me tell you what Pharaoh, how I responded to this problem with the midwives not killing the children. He said... I want, all, I want the army to go collect all the newborn babies and let them be thrown into the Nile River. This guy who claims to be God can't control things, so he becomes paranoid, he becomes a megalomaniac, and he, it's something horrible results. Murder, genocide. Oh, historically, we could give a lot of other examples of the same kind of guys. Hey, beyond Pharaoh, there was maybe... Saddam Hussein or Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin. 
They were, they were stunning examples of anger and frustration and control and paranoia that led to genocide and murder because they had to be in control. Maybe that's why the abortion industry in America screams so loudly when we try to curtail their power. Their I am God and nobody can stop me power. I know there are no Hitlers or Pharaohs in the building, but the root is still the same. Playing the part of God and making God decisions and feeling the right to do so is what ruins lives. It leads us down this dangerous path to destruction. It's the same work of the devil that the snake and Eve had. What if Pharaoh had been born in Shelby County, Alabama in like, say, 1980 or something? He would look like a regular old guy, and I know he wouldn't have had royal authority to do all these kind of things. But you know, sometimes people think things like, people exist to make me happy. The world revolves around me. The world is here to fulfill my joy and my pleasure. If that guy in Shelby County showed up, we would call him a user because he would use people. That's what a lack of humility does. Humility, a lack of humility has people that use other people. Maybe our pride and our lack of humility doesn't take on monstrous proportions like Hitler or Saddam Hussein or somebody like that, but the root is the same. If I want to have godly character in me, when situations come along that I can't control, that enrage me, that frustrate me, that make me fearful, Humility should come in as a gentle reminder, I am not God, I am not the center of the world, and I can't control everything. So tomorrow when you're frustrated, and by the way, tomorrow you will get frustrated. When you're stuck in traffic or the kids spill something, or a task is assigned to you that's bigger than you can handle, or the whys of life show up, you feel anxiety, you feel like something's upsetting your apple cart, you feel inadequate, you feel like you can't keep all the plates spinning at one time, you feel fear, something bad is going to happen and you don't know how you're going to handle it, or anger, somebody somewhere has done you wrong, instead of getting bent all out of shape, instead of giving in to road rage or stress rage or kid rage or task rage or parent rage. How about reality check? I'm not God. The world doesn't revolve around me, and it doesn't exist to keep me from getting frustrated. Here's my chance to learn a little humility and patience. Boy, that'd be a great thing if we'd think through that, wouldn't it? Sure would help on Facebook when we want to say something. Now back to the story. So God raised up this man named Moses. One of those little babies the midwives didn't kill. And uh, Moses eventually stood before Pharaoh to confront him. Now think about this. There's a man who thinks he's God being confronted by a man who knows he's not God. But God sent him. And he's speaking for God. And he is there to instruct the man who thinks he's God that he's not God. Short story of it, it took 10 tries before Pharaoh finally admitted he wasn't God. 
It happened only after his own stubbornness had destroyed the whole economy of Egypt, all the livestock of Egypt, many, many, many people in Egypt, and even his own family. Why did it take ten plagues? Because the I'm not God complex is hard to shake. (laughs) Every time Pharaoh's confidence began to wane, he would think, oh, maybe I'm not a God. Oh, I've got to prove that I'm a God. I've got to, and he would say, no, 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 no. Ten times, nine times. He put his entire nation through terrible grief because he wouldn't admit he wasn't God. Why does it take us so long to understand that we're not God? Sometimes the desire to control our lives is so stubborn that we'll even ruin our family to prove it. Folks, I have had so many, so many times to counsel people who may be battling addiction to alcohol or drugs and they have completely wiped their family out emotionally, economically and they still say, I have the right to do drugs, I have the right to drink alcohol if I want to because I can control it and they can't control it. Proverbs 11, 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Boy, that's powerful. So our first, the first of our two points is this, pride destroys. Now here's the second one, and it's very simple. Humility lifts. I love that. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7 All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Wow. Now let's look at another character. This one is named Daniel. Daniel, like Moses confronted a king who thought he was God. It was King Nebuchadnezzar. Like, like Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar's confidence had been shaken and because he, he had a troublesome dream that he couldn't understand. So he flipped out and he asked all of his advisors to come in, including Daniel, who was, who was in his court. He had all of his advisors come in and said to them, I need to know the interpretation of my dream. And I need to know it's right, so you have to tell me what my dream was and then the interpretation of it. Boy, that was rough. He thought the person who could tell the dream was smart enough to tell the interpretation. Well, all the advisors and the sorcerers that were there couldn't do it. The king flies into a rage and he orders every one of them, including Daniel, including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, including all those guys killed because they weren't able to tell him his dream. This was a monarch, this was a dictator who was just one bad dream away from killing everybody. But Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, prayed to God and God showed Daniel the dream and, the Bible says, the meaning of the dream. So now Daniel is brought in to stand before this king who thinks he's a god. And the king said, can you interpret this dream 
I want you to look at Daniel's answer. Daniel said, no mere human can solve the king's mystery. I don't care who it is, no wise man, enchanter, magician, diviner. But there is a God in heaven who solves mysteries. And he has solved this one. <laughs> that was from the Message Bible. Isn't that awesome? That is so awesome. Daniel was amazing. He could have taken credit for it, but he didn't. He said, no, I'm not smart enough, but God is. I love it. Daniel goes on to describe the dream. In, in fact, the, the scripture says, Daniel said, we will interpret it for you. Why did Daniel say we? Because his prayer partners were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel didn't even take the credit for having the dream revealed. He knew he couldn't have done it without his friends being prayer partners with him. That's pretty cool. So the mystery is, is revealed to Daniel, but he wants to bring his friends in on it as well. I love it in the end of chapter 2 of Daniel, the last verse. After the king had just been amazed that Daniel was able to do it. This is what it says, Daniel 2.49. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to administrative posts over the province of Babylon. First of all, he gave God credit. He gave his friends credit. And he wanted his friends to be blessed as well. Folks, that is incredible. I love that about Daniel's heart. Daniel was truly a humble man. I want a heart like that. I, why? Because I'm not God. I don't have to get, a, get all bent out of shape when somebody else gets credit for something. I can be free of all that stuff. It's pretty clear to me I'm not God, in case anybody's wondering. It's pretty clear to me. I don't have to get obsessed over what other people think about me or self-promotion or credit. I don't have to do that. Read the Bible for yourself. That's why Daniel's life was filled with humility instead of self-promotion and pride. With confidence instead of anxiety. With a spirit of courage instead of a spirit of fear. Wow. Look what humility brought him. He was lifted. Daniel was powerful in God because Daniel was humble. He didn't have to promote himself. God sees. God knows. Daniel was not God, but he was God's friend. That's a good place to be. In closing today, I want to encourage you <coughs> to rethink humility. How do we do that? What's our takeaway from the message? How do we begin rethinking humility? Well, true to most pastors, I have two more points. These aren't points, these are steps. Step one, learn the power of saying to yourself, I am not God. Not just today in the service, but every day and all day long. I know it may seem trite or a little silly, but when tough circumstances come your way, when the whys of life arise that make you want to fret and complain and blame, when lashing out in anger seems appropriate, or when fear freezes us cold where we can't move, it's so powerful to remember 
His ways are higher than mine. His thoughts are greater than mine. His wisdom is deeper than mine. That's a revelation that can only come from God. God has to reveal that to you. It's how peace comes in the midst of a storm. It's how hope arises when you're facing impossible odds. I am not God. I am not God, but I am his friend. You're probably familiar with the verse in Psalms. You probably heard it. It's one of my mom's favorite. Be still and know that I am God. I love the way the New American Standard Bible translates it. It says, cease striving and know that I am God. Oh, cease striving. Learn the discipline of agreeing with God by saying to yourself, I am God, I am not God, and he's got this. I am not God, and he's got this. <laughs> what if we walked around saying that kind of stuff? When anxiety comes on you, when fear comes on you, when you feel like everything's out of control, I am not God, and he's got this. Wow, that's powerful. That's like spiritual. It really is. Before long, if we do this, the peace of God will begin to rule our hearts. Man. All right, that leads to step two. Ready? Step two, relinquish control. <laughs> In other words, loosen your grip. Surrender. Surrender is the pathway to spiritual maturity. Ah, I believe that. The more you let go, the more you can let God. Man. Now that may be a little easier said than done. I got a hint for you though. Romans chapter 14 verse 23. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everybody listen to me. It is a sin not to trust God. It is a sin not to trust God, so we need to repent of it. <laughs> I know you probably didn't know we were going here, but this is where we're going. It is a sin not to trust God. We need to repent of it. I think the best way to relinquish control is to stop and say, God, I confess I like being in control. I'm sorry I failed to trust you. Forgive me. When we do that, we clear the way for faith to grow. Sin is like a blockage. And repentance clears the blockage. Before long, you'll find yourself doing more trusting and less repenting. Does that make sense? It's like we've got to learn the discipline of saying, God, I'm so sorry for not trusting you. What is our tendency? Our tendency is to go to our friend going, I'm so worried. I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? I'm so worried. And God's over here going, hello. I got this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I got some options. I need your advice. I need medicine. I need a pill. It is a sin not to trust God. We need to repent of not trusting God and say, God, help me trust you. He will answer that prayer. I'm serious. I know that sounds silly, but it's the truth. There was a great person of wisdom who put it like this. That great 
scholar Carrie Underwood. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. That's more spiritual than you think. Jesus, take the wheel. I'm going to wreck this thing. Listen, look at your life for a moment. Do you realize that unless you relinquish control, you're going to wreck your life? It's going to be completely wrecked. And you're going to wreck your family with it. I remember years ago, I, I got a phone call from someone that I did not know. And they said, I know you're a pastor. Can I talk to you? I said, sure, be glad to. And I, 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 literally, it was on the phone. He said, can I talk to you? He said, my, my wife has left me. And I just, I want my wife back more than anything in this world. And, and I'm, I'm, I just want you to help me. Help me. What can I do? Will you talk to her? Will you counsel with her? Will you, will you get her to come back to me? And I'm going, what is the issue? And after a little while, he sort of let it slip. He says, well, she, she tells me I drink too much. And I go, well, why don't you just stop drinking then? And he goes, well, I don't think that's the issue. I said, well, it's a good starting place. And he goes, well, you know, I keep telling her, honey, I don't have to quit drinking to, for us to put our life back together. And I said, man, are you afraid to quit drinking? So what if it will help? What if it will help this much? Will you do it? And he said, no, I won't. I, no, I, that, and in my mind I thought, well, no wonder. No wonder she left him. Well, not long after that, she called me because he had told her that he talked to me. And, and she began to talk about the destruction that had been in their family with their children and everything. And I called him back and I said, look, man, I just want to tell you this. I will be glad to help you. I'll be glad to help your wife. I'll be glad to talk with you and minister to you. But you got to do one thing for me and just humor me, okay? Just let's put the alcohol down. Oh, I, I, I can do that. And I said, well, let's do it. And then he called and says, I have to admit to you, I can't do it. Why? Because I think I'm addicted. Ah, we made progress there. He, he got some help, mainly from Jesus. And you know what? Within a year, that family was put back together. And he, many times he came and he said, I can't believe I was so stubborn wanting to hold on to the very thing that I thought I could control that was in control of me. Sometimes we don't even see those things. So it's a good thing for us to say, I am not God. I am not God, but he's got this. In doing so, we have to relinquish our control. Rethink humility. Pride destroys all the time. Humility lifts every time. Step one, learn the value of saying, I'm not God. Step two, Jesus, take the wheel. Today, we're going we're gonna to take a moment. We're going to sing a, a song about you deserve it all, Lord. We're going to focus on him and how big he is. And then I'm going to give you the opportunity, even as we're singing this song, come and meet our prayer team. They're going to be coming. Would everyone stand even now? And prayer team, would y'all come and 
scatter across the front here. If you want to come to any of our prayer team members and let them pray with you that you will relinquish control, that you will let go, that you will let go and relinquish control. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're going to just honor you by lifting you up and recognize you deserve it all. And then, Lord, I pray that once we've done that in our hearts, that you'll draw people here to the front to relinquish control and change their life in Jesus' name.